Well, hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we're so glad you chose to uh, hang out with us today. Um, I have some really exciting news uh, that I want to share with you. So for the first six weeks uh, of this new year, uh, we have had the largest attendance we've ever had in the history of The Jar. Um, So, uh, yeah, very cool. And uh, what I'm most excited about is how God has moved in some incredible ways and I've heard so many wonderful stories of how he's working in people's lives. And I realized that that would not happen if there weren't people like you who were praying and giving and serving and, most of all, kind of boldly inviting people. So I want to strongly encourage you to keep inviting folks to come. Uh, there's a little card in your program as an invitation, or you can uh, go on our website and you can actually uh, send a, a video to invite people to come as well. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Also, uh, next week, I'm going to be teaching a baptism class. And uh, if you haven't been baptized, my question is, why not? Like, uh, what's holding you back? And so baptism is a first step of kind of saying, God, I'm in. I want you in my life. And so uh, for some of you, maybe that's uh, something that you're ready to do. I'll be teaching the class. Uh, lunch and child care are provided, so no excuses that way. It'll happen in the community room. Uh, and if you are interested, you can actually go to a card uh, that is our Connect card. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a blue box. It doesn't commit you to everything, but says, hey, I'm interested. You can check that. Or if you're on the app, uh, you can just go ahead and you can push the icon for that, and then we can uh, get connected with you as well. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series called Forget You. And uh, that phrase, forget you, uh, sometimes comes across in different ways. I think most of the time when you hear the phrase, forget you, uh, you kind of imagine a person kind of putting their hand in your face and kind of saying, forget you, I don't want anything to do with you. And uh, just as a way for all of us to be able to know what we're going to be talking about the next six weeks. Let's all say that phrase out loud together on three. One, two, three. Forget you. I'm a little bit offended now uh, by that. Okay. So why don't you turn to the person beside you and just tell them, say, forget you. Okay. No fights. No fights. All right. Well, well, most of the time when we hear this phrase, What we think about is a negative of someone putting another person down, putting themselves up above the the other person, actually uh, having a sense of forget the people around me, forget your opinion, I don't care about you. You may even have that kind of perspective when it comes toward God. And throughout this series, what we want to do is kind of turn this phrase around from a, a negative kind of dismissive, get out of my face, to actually something that you would actually internalize and say, forget you, maybe forget me. Maybe I could put my selfish desires aside and I could actually put someone else's needs, someone in my family, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone else, I could put them actually above me and I could say, forget me, forget you. So, Over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. And the way we're going to do that is look at Jesus' most famous teaching uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. 
It actually uh, took place on the edge of a mountainside, and he was teaching. And as he's teaching, he's actually giving kind of what you would call uh, a state of the universe address. You know, the uh, U.S. president, uh, uh, President Trump, a couple of weeks ago, gave the State of the Union address. And so when Jesus is on this mountainside, he's like giving the State of the Universe address. And he's saying, this is what it would look like for you to be able to live a good life and a life that would be honoring, where you're not forgetting everyone else, but you're actually saying to yourself, I'll forget a piece of me so that others can be lifted up and God can be as well. Because no teaching has given us more practical wisdom and advice than that of the Sermon on the Mount over the past 2,000 years. And it still has this ability to inspire. And so I encourage many of you that you might pull out your Bibles, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this week, and you'd actually kind of read through it because this is what we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. Now, today, I want us to focus on one particular verse that's kind of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's kind of a warning that Jesus gives. He begins the teaching by talking about these blessings and beatitudes that if you live this way, your life will be blessed. And then in the middle of it, he starts giving some warnings uh, to the people that were there that if you want to be a good person, uh, make sure you do not do this thing that he begins to start talking about. And a bunch of stuff is kind of going on after this that we'll talk about in the weeks coming up. So make sure you invite somebody next week. We're going to talk about something that 90% of all people do in the United States, and it's to pray. And so anyone wants to understand what prayer is and how I can move from that. Now, here's kind of this verse that Jesus gives as a caution. Jesus said this, be careful not to, what's the word? Perform your righteous acts in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the condition that we're going to talk about today is one that every single person in this auditorium has. And the condition is approval addiction. We all have a desire to want to be approved. It's like a bondage because we want the people around us to like us and to approve of us to kind of perform for them so that they could see us differently than maybe we are. And this kind of leads us to our big idea I want us to focus on today, and it's this. The disease to please others keeps you from pleasing God. That's your first fill-in, or you can do it on the app, but the disease to please others keeps you from pleasing God. Now, in Jesus' day, the way that they saw this is that there were actually people who would stand on corners, Pharisees and uh, other religious leaders, and they would actually start talking about how great they were at praying or fasting or giving. And in his day, if you wanted to have status, you had to be seen as a very religious person. And so the more that you prayed out loud and performed, and the more you gave and you let people know, and the more that you fasted, then people would kind of elevate you to another status. You see, you and I, though, we live in a very different kind of culture. Our culture is not as religious. 
But the underlying temptation is exact, exactly the same, to try and live for another person's opinion. We value what people think about us sometimes to a fault and will do anything for their approval, even if it means we do not fulfill the call and who God has created us to be. I mean, sometimes it can even be with good things. Like, it's not a bad thing to pray. It's not a bad thing to fast. It's not a bad thing to give. But Jesus said, when you do this to try to win the approval of others, you're going down a slippery slope. I'll see this all the time with kids who put a lot of pressure on themselves to do really well in school. And so they'll think it's the grades, or it could be work, or your body, or your family. And you try to win the approval of other people around you. And the truth is that many times I don't even realize how much of a mess I am as a person. And that's the most dangerous thing. I mean, I'm an approval addict. I'm recovering, but I am. And, and I long for people to, like, approve of the things that I do. You see, anytime you're trying to do this, though, anytime you're trying to get somebody else's approval... You cannot acknowledge that you're trying to get their approval because nobody, uh, I mean, absolutely nobody will give you approval if they think you're an approval junkie. I mean, if you're just constantly trying to seek the approval of other people, eventually people don't want to do that. So in Matthew chapter six, people are giving, they're praying, they're fasting because they want to impress other people to be seen by others. But How they do this to pretend is not the way that God would call them to live their life. They have to pretend like, you know what, I'm so religious and everyone will see that and then they'll know that I really love God. And yet actually, Jesus said this, if you're pretending like that all the time just to be more religious, you're actually a different kind of word and the word is hypocrite. Hypocrite is just a word of an actor, someone who's acting on a stage, but behind, it's very, very different. It's very difficult for me to be on a stage and to admit that, but uh, it's true. And we do that within our lives. And the truth is, it gets into all of us. Every single person here seeks the approval of someone else. Even the toughest guy, big, strong, I don't need anyone else. Yes, you do. You seek the approval of other people. And if churches aren't careful... They may do that as well. I mean, we spend so much time trying to deceive other people that we're something more than we are just so that they can approve us, uh, have approval of us. And in doing so, there's a tendency for us to deceive ourselves. So for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is talk about approval addiction and then at the end to actually give you kind of two practical steps you can take to overcome it. So, approval addiction. A book that I found to be extremely helpful on this is a book written by Mitch Prinstein called um, Popular. It's called Popular. And um, Mitch shares that when you're in high school, there's actually a chemical change in your brain. And the chemical change is, is that you determine at that point that more than anything else, popularity is the biggest priority of your life. And those changes actually stay stuck with you throughout the rest of your life. But it turns out that sometimes the most popular kid 
the person who is, you know, the head cheerleader or the captain of the basketball team. They're miserable. It turns out that many times they are just not happy at all. They're not living a good life, even though they are the most popular. And he kind of distinguishes between two types of popularity. The first one is what we call status. Status. Status is how you try to impress other people. It happens because you're rich, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're high up in work, and you use that, and this generally starts when you're in high school. In fact, he describes kind of a case study that he did of a girl by the name of Alexandra Court. She is tall, she's attractive, she's impeccably dressed, and she is always sure of herself. She is the queen of her inner ring at the school that she was at. And every single student in the high school that he surveyed said that, yep, she is the most popular girl, Alexandra Court. Do you want to know, though, who is the most disliked girl in that school? Take a guess. Some of you just woke up and said, did he say somebody's name? Uh, yeah. No. Her name was Alexandra what? Court. Yeah. And she was the most disliked person. She was gossipy. She was mean. She was exclusive. She was nasty. She was selfish. So that status, trying to impress other people. The other kind of uh, way that he describes popularity is called likability. It's a different way to look at it. He defines this as other-centered. It's what Jesus would talk about when he says to love another person. So status, focus, uh, those kind of people that seek status, they focus on themselves. How can I put myself above you? And some status people have a huge way of doing that. Likeable people, though they listen a lot. They just like to listen to people and their story, and they're able to encourage them. When you're a status seeker, it's all about less than. How can I make someone feel less than myself? When you're actually a person of likability, it's like, how can I do more than? How can I build somebody else up? How can I encourage them? You know, when Mitch talks about likability, he defines it as being trustworthy or genuinely caring for another person, to do the goodwill for them, whatever it is. And you walk away from these people who have likability, and you actually feel better about yourself, and you feel encouraged. And people who have status, you always walk away feeling less than and not as strong. And those qualities of words, though, of likability, of having caring, loving, encouraging, listening, are exactly the kind of description that Jesus uses when he talks about a churchy word that we look at, that we talk about, but we sometimes walk away from, and that's the word righteous. Now, to kind of understand how Jesus talks about likability, you could actually kind of translate one of his scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus said this, Unless your likability, in other words, your righteousness, surpasses that of the Pharisees, that is, of the people who are on the corner saying, look at me, how impressive I am, I pray, I fast, I give. And the teachers of the law, you cannot enter the kingdom 
of heaven. You see, many times when you think of the word righteous, you're like, oh, I'm not that. I don't, I don't want to be seen as haughty or pious or something that's greater than that. But actually, what Mitch is talking about is exactly what Jesus said when Mitch talks about likability and caring and being a loving person. That's what it means, folks, to be a righteous person. Now, the problem is, is that so many of us, though, we suffer from approval addiction. We just never can get enough approval from the people around us. People with approval addiction are always kind of checking in like, hey, how am I doing? Is it okay? And if for some reason they get a bad vibe from you, they're like, hey, I'm sorry about that. I can I can turn it around. I can do something differently. By the way. How's the teaching going? Are, are you guys okay with it? Hey, if you, if you in the balcony, if there's something you don't like, I'll turn it around. I'll, I'll change things. We can cut out a few pages, you know, you know, whatever it is. In this book, what Mitch writes is that's what has happened, though, so much to young people when it comes to social media in middle school and high school their brain actually starts desiring and longing for uh, likes and comments and how many people looked. And if they didn't, does that make me look worse or better? And, and what is all of that? And all of a sudden, when we get enough of these, there's this dopamine that fires in our brain. And then all of a sudden, we feel popular and good about ourselves. And we have the approval of our peers. And all is well and good. I... Uh, wanted to try to figure this out myself a little bit uh, because I have a middle school student. And, uh, you know, any student uh, that has a phone, they're always taking selfies. And so on YouTube, check this out. There are 379,000 tutorials on how to take the perfect selfie. Now, just in case you didn't hear that number. 379,000 videos to show you how to take the perfect selfie. I started trying to look through these, and I started wondering, which one is really perfect, though? Because why is that? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you think that there are YouTube videos on how to die to your imperfect little self? How many of those? Yeah, zero. Zilch. There's none that says, oh, die to yourself. Give yourself to God. Take a picture like that. It's not there. However, there is an alternative to approval addiction. And this is your next fill-in. Living for an audience of one. If you want to overcome your approval addiction, the way you do it is by living your life for an audience. One. Folks, there's no doubt that you and I, we were created, God created us to seek approval. There's no doubt about it. How do I know this? Because when our girls were really little and we would hold them and we'd start going, ooh, goo, goo, all of a sudden they'd start smiling and, and doing more things because they were seeking our approval. And just like we were created to seek God's approval. So the question is not, will I seek approval? Because we all do. Rather, where will you seek 
your approval from. It's not will you seek approval, because you will. But where will you seek your approval from? Because the truth is, I have an infinite need inside of Chris Bunch for approval. And that's just part of being human. Every single person in this place has a need to be approved. Now, the good news is, is that God has an infinite amount of approval to give to you. It never wanes, but only God does. You see, Jesus said, if you want to become a good person, if you want to live a good life, you enter into the kingdom of God, and then you're able to please him. I I live then to have his approval. I live for his honor. I live for security and God's love. Folks, we must live for God's approval, not human approval. In fact, I just want to tell you this. This is the truth. You cannot seek God's approval and human approval at the same time. You can't. You get to choose which road you're going to go down to get God's approval or people's approval. And we do it every single day. Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, gave us these words. He said, am I now trying to win the what? Approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to what? Yeah, please people. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying, hey, if I was still trying to approve or or to live a life for the approval of people, then I would be pretending, I would be performing, I would be acting, I would be, you know, trying to get them to focus on me. But it's not that way. John, one of Jesus' closest friends, and uh, he was talking about a group of people one day, and this is what he said. He said, for they love the what? Approval of men rather than the what? Approval of God. And so you get to choose which one it is. Now, I want to share a little phrase that many of you could use this week if you struggle with the addiction of approval. And here's the phrase right here. I don't care. Okay? Now, just so that all of us are on the same page, let's all say this out loud together on three, okay? One, two, three. I don't care. Okay, look to the person beside you right now. Wake them up if you have to and tell them. I don't care. Okay, go ahead. So, This week, when someone doesn't approve of the clothes that you're wearing, what do you say? Okay, and when someone comes and they don't approve of the color of your house, what do you say? Okay, and then when somebody comes to you at work and they don't like the way you're doing your job, what do you say? And when somebody says, you know what, I don't like the fact that you're listening to Christian music, what do you say? And when a police officer doesn't approve of your speed, you say? No, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. In the first celebration, there was a group of people that were like, you just say, yes, sir. You know, that was it. And then you could go real quietly, I don't care. Okay. Now, the problem is some of you are going to leave from this place, and you'll just be like, oh, great. Now, every time someone says something to me in my family, I can just say, I don't care. Pastor told me. Right? No, no. That's not what I'm saying. 
This is what I'm saying. When it comes to other people, it's not saying I don't care about others. No, 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 no. You care about everyone. But this is the case. I live for an audience of one, and you're not the one. Let me say that again. I live for an audience of one, and I'm sorry, but you're just not the one. You see, God is not calling us to seek universal approval. You know, when I was, uh, first became a pastor at the age of 23, I kind of had this thought in my mind, at least in the church, everyone will like me. Because if you work for a church, everybody has to like you, right? Look at that. You're so encouraging. No, they don't. The truth is, not everybody is going to like you. Some of you need to hear this. The truth is, not everybody is going to like you, so stop trying to seek their approval. And believe me, I understand this, because the first three years of being a pastor, I was what you call a pastor pleaser. I would go to this group, and they'd say, hey, we don't really like the music this way. Oh, no problem. We'll t- change it. Oh, okay. Now, what you, you don't like the way I'm doing this? Oh, I'll change that. You know that. And for three years, and after three years, man, I was just so tired and exhausted that finally this thought came to my mind. Jesus likes me, and I don't care if you don't. And Jesus does like you, and he loves you. In fact, it goes all the way to the very first kind of song I ever learned, which was this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Folks, I've learned that in the kingdom of God, that I am only living and trying to seek God's approval. I'm only seeking the approval of an audience of one, not all the other audience. So Jesus is clear in Matthew chapter 6 that you are to live your life, if you're following God, to live for an audience of one and not try to seek the approval of others. But the chapter goes on in verse 3, and it's always kind of been a challenging verse for me. And uh, this is what it says. But when you do a kindness to someone, do it what? Yes, secretly. Don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. And your father, who knows all what? Yes, secrets. He will what? He'll reward you. Um, Again, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, what Jesus is not saying is, hey, if you do something nice for somebody and other people see it, well, one day what's going to happen is Jesus is going to say, well, you know what? You did that thing in front of other people, and now I'm going to take away all of the jewels I was going to put on your crown. And, uh, you know, you just can't do that. That is not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about here That when you do it in secret, then you actually become the person God intended you to be. And if the idea of doing good things in secret, what it does is it frees you from approval addiction. You will have the peace that comes from God because you know, hey, I'm loved by God. 
You will have the security of not needing the approval of other people. You will have the joy of being able to just enjoy the presence of doing something and helping someone else out, and no one would ever know. I mean, you can learn to be happy, folks, even when someone kind of lifts their eye up at you or they, like, cut in front of you at traffic or they wave at you in traffic and maybe not with all five fingers, okay? And you can handle it. But if you keep on trying to live your life to impress everybody else around you, doing your righteous acts before others to be seen, then what God says is basically that's your reward. If you want other people to say, that a boy, that a girl, good job, way to go, then you just live that way and keep living a life, but it'll be exhausting and it will not be transformative of the way that God created you to be and to be the best you that you can be. Now, confession time. My name is Chris Bunch, and I am a recovering approval addict. Okay? That's who I am. It's really true. But guess what? I don't care what you think. Actually, I do care. Um, how's it going so far? Is it going okay? Is there anything you want me to change? I'll do something different. I realize some of you might not be happy. You know, I'll do something, you know. So for the rest of our time, what I want to talk about is how do we get free from approval addiction? And I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do it by willpower. I'll just will myself not to do it anymore. Now, I want to do this by looking at a quadrant. And uh, I realize this isn't in your notes, so if you want to take a picture at the end, uh, if you do everything on uh, the app, Uh, You can just do that. If you want to write it, if you have a program, that's fine. But basically, what uh, psychology has told us is that every single human being has two basic needs. The need to be accepted and the need to be known. That every single one of us, regardless of who you are, we have the need to be accepted and the need to be known. And maybe for some of you, you're like, ah, I'm experiencing this but I'm not experiencing this, or I'm experiencing this, or I'm not experiencing that. Now, what's interesting is that if you're accepted, but you're not known in this quadrant, what really actually happens is you become an illusion of yourself. You become a fake. You just pretend to try to get the approval of other people, but no one ever really truly knows you. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said those individuals that stand on the street corners, the Pharisees, the law, uh, the people, the religious leaders of the law, and they, you know, start pretending. And they pray, and they talk, and they give, and they fast, and they start saying, look at me, look at me, look at me pray, look at me fast, look at me give. They're getting other people to approve of them, The reality is they're just never fully known by anybody else. And I'm telling you, folks, when you live in this quadrant, what happens is you start to feel empty and you feel like a fake. Now, the second thing is there are some people who um, feel not accepted and not known, and this is what we call isolation. And I'm telling you, this has become an epidemic in our culture. 
People don't feel accepted. They don't feel known at all. And even with social media and technology where we can be connecting with so many people, the reality is most of us are feeling more and more isolated all the time. There's this sense that, you know, I'm just not known. I'm not accepted. And it just keeps on going up and up in our culture. Now, if you're known but you're not accepted, what happens is you come to this quadrant right here and you actually feel rejected. And people will do almost anything, folks, not to experience that. They'll go wide ways to try to do anything, never to feel like they are rejected. When I was in high school in my sophomore year, I was five foot eleven and 130 pounds. I mean, most of the girls in the sophomore class had bigger arms than me, okay? And every time that I would walk around, you know, I just looked very skinny, scrawny. And I remember one of my friend's dads uh, came up to me. He goes, I got a new nickname for you. I'm going to call you Bones because you are just skin and bones. And as high school went on, I was always very nervous to take off my shirt Because, you know, I had real tiny arms and I did not have a big chest. And that just continued on into college as well, where I was just feeling like I was rejected by other people because of my physical appearance. Well, heck, now, you know, my wife can kick my tail anyway, so it really doesn't matter. So I always put her in front of everything else and like, you want to mess with her? You know, and people back off real quickly that way. That's one of the reasons, folks, why I love Celebrate Recovery. And if you're going through a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up right now, this is the place that you want to go. Because most people, when they go to Celebrate Recovery, they think, I'm going to be rejected. No, 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 no. It's a place that encourages vulnerability. It actually says, we're going to cheer you on. If you're addicted to porn, sex, uh, alcohol, if you're in codependency, you have anger issues, you're depressed, you're overwhelmed, why would you want to go through that by yourself and continue to feel illusion and isolation and rejection? And so finally, Jesus says, really, if you want to feel fully accepted and you want to feel fully known, what you experience when that happens is this word called love. And it's exactly the way God created human beings from the very, very beginning. He said to Adam and Eve, he said, go and be a part of this community that is going to be humanity. And the scripture says that they were naked and unashamed, that they were actually fully accepted and fully loved. They were known and all was well for them. And this is what Jesus says. If you want to be the person I created you to be, then you live a life where you're fully accepted and you're fully loved. Now, uh, these verses in Matthew chapter 6 kind of give us two practical steps that I want to encourage you to try this week. So this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, how you can actually fulfill this. And the first one is, if you want to overcome uh, your uh, kind of uh, approval addiction, you put a spiritual practice into your life, and the first one is secrecy. 
that you actually start doing some things for other people in secret. Now, again, this can be very misunderstood as well. Because if you say, well, you know, when you pray, don't, Jesus said, don't pray in public, go pray. Does he mean you should never, ever pray with anyone else? No. And when you give, should no one ever, ever see your giving? No. But he says this, that if you really want to get better at overcoming your approval addiction, you actually do things in secret for people. Folks, as you do something for secret, Jesus says that your heavenly Father will reward you. You don't have to worry about trying to prove Uh, get the approval of someone else, he will. And you will become the kind of person who you can love and, and be filled with joy. So, this week, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Do stuff for people, kind things, in secret. Don't expect anything back in return. And if you really want to flip somebody out... Do something for somebody in secret that you don't like. I mean, you want to talk about all of a sudden God rewarding you. It's when you do something for somebody that you don't like and you do it in secret. Write an anonymous letter of encouragement to somebody this week and just leave it to them. Shovel someone's, uh, you know, sidewalk. Take their trash can for your neighbor and take it back up to their house. Go get a gift card from Starbucks or something else and just generously give it. I mean, just do good things, but don't tell anybody about it. And I'm telling you, I want you to try the experiment because I want to see if you'd come back to me and say, you know what, there is absolutely no enjoyment or reward from God in doing that because it just doesn't happen that way. The second kind of thing that you can practice this week is to actually get into a community. That you would get into some type of community. A community where you're loved, where you're accepted, where you're cared for, where you're encouraged, and you're known. Don't do this life alone. I kind of brought a friend to uh, show this concept. And uh, it's right here. Uh, This is a volleyball, but does anybody know this volleyball's name? Wilson. Now, uh, for those of you who are in your 20s, you can Google it, okay? But uh, uh, it's called, there's a movie called Castaway. And uh, Tom Hanks plays this uh, FedEx worker whose uh, plane crashes and everyone dies except him. And he's on this island all by himself. And as he's on this island, uh, some different FedEx boxes uh, wash ashore and he starts opening them up. And one of them, he finds a volleyball. And he kicks it away because he's trying to find some way to get back to civilization. But later on, he cuts his hand and he puts blood from his hand onto this. And this becomes something that saves his life while he's on the island for years and years and years. Well, at the end of the movie, we find that he finally takes a risk that he's going to leave the island. And he's going to try to find humanity. And he takes Wilson with him on the raft. But as they're on the raft, all of a sudden, Wilson kind of slips away and he goes off into the ocean. And we see this scene then of Tom Hanks trying to go after him. Let's check it out. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! 
Moses! time that I saw that um, movie, I was in a theater, and all of a sudden, I just start bawling, and I'm crying about a volleyball, but this is what we know, that that scene was not about a volleyball, it was about the human heart. And folks, you can't live this life without community. You just die a little bit more each day. You see, the reality is, folks, we'll do anything not to live a fake life or live in isolation or rejection. And yet there's so many times we choose not to do that and to live a life of love. And this is the the truth about the story of God. That when you were out in the ocean drifting away and he saw you, when he saw me, he didn't go back to the raft. He actually swam all the way out to you. And he said, even if it takes my very life, I will die so that you can live in community with me. And he swam out and he accepted you and he loved you and he even died on a cross because of his great love for you. I just want to encourage you today that you might say, I'm going to get a part of a community where I'm accepted and known and when you are your love, And for some of you, you may be going, but I just don't know what I'm going through is so hard right now. I'm telling you, the first time you're vulnerable, it's hard. But when you break through that and you get around some people who love and care for you, your life changes. And in your program today, for some of you, that's what you need. You need to be a part of something. And so we have 
a card where it's not just small groups, but on the back it gives you three options. Some of you right now are going through the loss of a loved one. Someone has died in your life and you feel like Wilson out in the middle of the ocean all alone. And on Mondays, we have grief share. Tomorrow night, you can come. You don't have to be alone. On Tuesday afternoons, a grief share. You don't have to be alone. Some of you right now are going through some hurts, habits, and hang-ups in your life that are so difficult. Your life is a mess. You're off the rails. You just don't even know how you're going to do it. But you just keep on drifting out further and further and further away. And Celebrate Recovery is present on Tuesday at 7 o'clock for you to come and for you to get over that whatever hurt, habit, or hang-up you have. For others, if you're just not doing community with anyone else and you can be a part of a small group to be a part of a group where they love you they care for you you're fully accepted you're fully known for who God created you to be I just want to encourage you today quit drifting do something about it and get in a community and then this week as you go through do things in as God gives you His approval. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that even when we try to seek the approval of someone else, ignore you you give us a second chance thank you for never giving up on us or walking away Jesus would you help us be the type of people who live to please an audience of one help us to try and please not just the people around us but first and foremost to please you all that we say and all that we do. God, I know right now that there are some people in this auditorium today who are struggling right now to feel accepted, to feel known. Would you come right now, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit? God, would you move? Nothing I've said, but would you move with them right now and let them know they are never alone. And for those who feel isolated or rejected or feel like they always have to be putting up an illusion. God, would you help create a community and would you give them the courage to take the risk, to swim into the love of God. Maybe you're sitting there right now and the reality is you feel like Wilson. You've been drifting and drifting and drifting further away and you feel all alone. I want you to know that God will leave the raft to come after you. He will not go back to it for self-preservation. He gave himself on a cross just for you. 
So today, if you're ready to turn your life to him and say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need your grace. I need your love. If today you're ready to surrender him and say, Jesus, come into my life. I need you. I'm tired of drifting. I need you in my life. I invite you to share this prayer. And it's not a prayer that you pray alone. And maybe for some of you, you're recommitting today. I'm going to live my life for an audience of one. And if that's you, if you're ready to give your life to Christ for the first time, or you're drifting back today, I invite you to share this prayer. And you don't share it alone. We share it in community together. And I invite you to simply repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you. I give my life to you. I belong to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God.